As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Stainer and Jay, it's Stainer and all right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin, Paul Dinger Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic, giving you a fake intro to the real podcast. We're going to talk all about the coaching situation, who's coming back, and uh, plenty of other things on today's podcast, but since we recorded, it was official Luana Rumo will be back as defensive coordinator. Jonathan Gannon gets the head coaching job in Arizona. So the Bengals unbelievably <laughs> retain everyone basically on their entire coaching staff. Luana Rumo back as defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I I got an, I'm a little surprised. I really did think that the, this was job. This was Lou's job. Um, I, I felt like the, the Cardinals are doing their due diligence on talking to Gannon. I mean, I know he was a, a hot prospect, but man, you look at what, what Lou did against the chiefs in, in four games. And then what that second half looked like for, for Gannon and the Philly defense. And I, obviously there's more to it than X's and O's. Gannon's a younger guy, but uh, I just, I, I, I thought we were going to be doing a different kind of fake intro to the podcast this afternoon where we were bidding farewell to Lou. In a league where continuity is one of the most underrated weapons, the Bengals will be swimming in it again. Um, and look out for Lou Anarumo Revenge Tour 2023. You <laughs> Cardinals know, oh, on that tour, by the way. Cardinals on that <laughs> tour. I, I can only imagine. You know, I'm I'm sure uh, he's very disappointed. And Lou Anarumo deserves a head coaching job. Like, absolutely. I, I just I, I'm st- I'm pretty stunned that there wasn't a more interest and B this job didn't end up his. Um, but you know, the, I think that will come. Um, and certainly when you continually are there and in the conversation every year, those opportunities pop up and better ones pop up. Um, I think Lou Anarumo, it is unbelievable what he has built uh, and the loyalty that he built and the production that he built and the kind of defensive culture that he built here in Cincinnati. And uh, I do think his job will come at some point. Um, 
despite the factors against him, right? We're going to talk about age. We're going to talk about side of the ball, all the things that kind of against you. Um, I think continued production eventually gets you there. There's plenty of coaches that have had multiple seasons where they're in the cycle uh, and it eventually comes and, and maybe he'll look back and, and say that uh, he's glad he didn't get this job. I certainly don't think it's a great job. So he maybe in the long run he is, if he still ends up getting one, uh, but maybe he'll look back at it that way. I'm sure he doesn't feel like that today though. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, I don't know if you want to say the disappointing things, but it, it's not a great job and it would be, it would be great if Jonathan Gannon went in there and, and just had a great first year and kind of opened some GM's eyes that maybe getting a defensive guy is the way to go. It seems like they all want to get these offensive, these young offensive guys. You, you need the counterpunch to that. And uh, the more defensive guys that can succeed in the league, the more doors it's going to open for Lou. No question. All right. Plenty to get to on this podcast. Uh, so we're going to get to it now. But now you know the news. Uh, Lou Anarumo back as defensive coordinator. So keep that in mind as you listen to the rest of our discussion on today's pod. All right. Here's the one that we recorded earlier. Jay, how are you doing? How was your vacation? Uh, it, it was so-so. I, I barely left the house. I, I mentioned before my wife had foot surgery, so I was just kind of playing nurse to her. And uh, I didn't do as as much fun things as you might want on a vacation, but it was still nice to kind of decompress and take your mind off football other than the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, happy to be back now. Super Bowl that Bengals fans <laughs> were having a, having a tough time uh, processing, understandably, at the end. Hard not to go to hard PTSD. At yes. the end of that game for Bengals fans, without question, um, watching the way that that thing churned out. But we will talk more about that with Mo Egger when he joins us a little bit later here uh, in the podcast, uh, doing his normal spot. We'll get into all things Bengals Super Bowl takeaways and recap bets, which I believe real tight at the end. Real tight. Very at the end. tight. It had me Googling what was the Gatorade color. Uh, to make Yeah, you didn't see it. He didn't see it, and I and you could find it on the internet. I was able to find it later. Uh, what what color was it? it? It was not. It was purple. Yeah, okay. Unfortunately, I, purple. I, I, I saw a still shot, and I couldn't tell if it was red or orange. I knew it wasn't uh, purple. I already marked you down for a loss. Ah, uh, not good, not good. <laughs> uh, so we got a lot of that stuff to get to. A lot of news that we want to talk through. Uh, we have some of your questions that you have put in, and if you're watching on YouTube, thank you for joining us. Good to have you here with us. Uh, you can go ahead and drop any questions you have into the comments, and we'll see if we circle back around to those as we get going. Um, but you know, we want to kind of top top this up with some some of the news and the news right now is about Lou watch day <laughs> 10 right we're, we're deep this is like the old panda watch or marv watch back in the day so Lou watch but this is it the day is imminent we've basically come to the point you it may actually happen while we're on so maybe this will turn into an emergency podcast of sorts uh as we go uh but we're waiting on Lou Anarumo and arizona which it's down to Jonathan Gannon, Philadelphia defensive coordinator, and Lou. Uh, and that Gannon interviewed on Monday. You know, Gannon, a little bit of a home court advantage there. They're practicing at the Cardinals facility all yeah. week. Uh, so I don't know what kind of underhanded stuff is going <laughs> on there. Uh, but it certainly seemed like he kind of slipped in the back door of this conversation uh, with 
Gannon ending up getting this interview. Now, the, when they hired their GM, we've talked about him, Tennessee assistant guy. It was actually hired after um, the time that Arizona could interview during the bye week, the one mm-hmm. seats. So this is kind of their fir- his first chance to talk to Jonathan Gannon. So he's in there. Lou's still in there. Wolf, they're supposedly going to announce today is kind of the the thought out there right now. So we'll wait on that. As you're listening, you may have already heard, but there's a chance the Bengals could bring back everyone, which is really a shocking, a shocking development. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I don't know what the opposite of recency bias. Maybe it is still recency bias, but you know. They, yes, the Eagles defense had a great season, but does that give the Cardinals pause when they watch Kansas City just go right through them in the second half and totally out scheme them for a couple of easy touchdowns? And the other thing to think about, too, I mean, we 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 experienced this last year that the devastation that those coaches and players felt after losing the Super Bowl. Can you imagine one day after losing the Super Bowl having to go interview for the most important job of your your life? I mean, how? How is it even possible for a guy to, to process that and and ha- go be sharp and be great in an interview? And maybe maybe that's why the news didn't come out tonight. Maybe they want to have a second interview later in the week. I don't know, but um, it's I know Bengal fans don't want to hear it, but it 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 looks like it might be pointing more towards Lou, especially with the report that that Kafka's out of the running now. Yeah, I mean we don't know though. I mean we don't we don't know what's going on there. We'll we'll find out uh, soon enough. Um, the the thing is though, on the other side of the ball, you have Dan Pitcher um, opts to return and turns down mm-hmm. the chance to uh, be the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay. Brian Callahan is back um, as your offensive coordinator here. Um, Troy Walters is back as wide receivers coach after interviewing for the offensive coordinator job in Houston. So getting the band back together completely on offense and kind of an unheard of continuity there when you when you talk about quarterback, front office, head coach, who's your offensive play caller, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. I mean, we were amazed by the continuity before last season, yeah. and now you're talking about bringing it back again. Such an advantage such an advantage for them to have on that side of the ball. And I think a smart decision by Dan Pitcher, you know, I'm sure a hard one for him. You want to move up. You want to move on. But you, if you're tracking and to try to be a head coach, I mean, who isn't, I mean, anybody that's you're trying. And I think he has future head coach written all over Mm him. Um, you want your offensive coordinator job that you're going to go into next to be one that's going to do well, <laughs> that's going to be in big games, it's going to give you a chance to shine. And 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 that ain't happening in Tampa Bay anytime soon. Uh, they're a mess. And so wait it out. He's young. There's no need to rush into it. Brian Callahan, it still feels like, is going to get a job at some point. And you can continue to be – the guy that's working with Joe Burrow. Uh, and it's such an advantage for the Bengals and Joe Burrow to have all of these coaches back around him again. Yeah. And, and for, with pitcher, it's kind of the strike while the iron hot is hot philosophy where you, 
you know, maybe you don't want to pass on an opportunity because you never know your, your star may diminish, but everybody in this organization sees this offense with Joe Burrow continuing to, to play well. And it, I don't think there's any concern there on his part. And you're right. You're, you look at next year's cycle and you're probably going to have offensive coordinators moving into head coaching jobs that are leaving open spots with, with a good quarterback and in a much better situation than, than he would have been with, with Tampa Bay. So I do, I think it's a good decision on pitchers part and it's a great, a great thing for the Bengals and Bengal fans. You know, you, you mentioned this continuity and, and I wrote about it in June. And at that time, the, the Bengals were one of only two teams in the league that had offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach in place for, for at least four seasons. Really, if you include special teams in that as well, because Darren Simmons has been here forever. Um, the other one was the Chiefs. And with Eric Bieniemy possibly on the move, that could make the Bengals number one on that list. Um, leading up to, to this show, I went and I looked, where does this rank in Bengals history? And the only other time that they had head coach, offense coordinator, defensive coordinator in place for five consecutive seasons comes with an asterisk. It was 1970 to 1974 where Paul Brown was both the head coach and the offense coordinator. I don't even know if they had offense coordinators as a, as a, uh, a title back then, but um, in from 80 to 83, Forrest Gregg, same deal. That was four straight years. He was offensive coordinator and head coach. And then Hank Bullitt was the defense coordinator. And then four straight years of the actual three different guys in those spots, Sam Weish, Bruce Coslett and Dick LeBeau from 86 to 89. So even in that, that long run of Marvin, he just, he never had that kind of continuity with coordinators um, that, that Zach is enjoying right now. And I, I, it, it is a big deal. It's a big advantage. Yeah. You know, Marvin and Bob Bratkowski were together forever, but the, yeah. D, but the DCs were a revolving door under Marvin. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's no, and I just think when you throw quarterback and front office, I mean, cause it's not just front mm. office. Um, it's not just Duke Tobin. I mean, even go down to Mike Potts and Steven Radicevich, who your director of college scouting, your director of pro scouting, uh, all have been together working this rebuild since Zach Taylor got here and the whole staff, I mean, just the whole where cohesiveness is such a big part of it from front office to on the field leadership to your coaching staff. I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal. I just, I, I would like to know how many times a team has ever, let's just say advanced in the playoffs, you know, forget back to back conference championship games <laughs> uh, for multiple years and kept every coordinator and every executive. And it's just, to me, I mean, look what's happening in Philadelphia. I mean, they might lose both their coordinators, which, by the way, saw that stat floating around. Last team to lose both coordinators Mm -hmm. was the Cincinnati Bengals in 2013 (laughs) when Jay Gruden and Mike Zimmer both got head coaching jobs, lose both coordinators to a head coaching job. Uh, But still, it's just it's such an advantage for them to to put this. The raw, take the roster to the next level, but we'll see. Still waiting out Lou Anarumo to see if he is um, back. If not, where do they go? You know, we talked a bit, little bit about it last week. I mean, I think there's there's names that would make sense. 
Um, if James Betcher stuck around, if he doesn't go with Lou Anarumo, he would somebody with DC experience. Um, Al Golden, who was here previously um, under Zach as the linebackers coach before taking the DC job at Notre Dame. I mean, maybe they'd reach back out to try to bring him back into the mix. Somebody with familiarity with everything they were doing here. Um, and you know, head coach experience, uh, DC, you name it. So perhaps they go that direction or there's, you know, obviously they have other plans in mind and that they're ready to hit the button on. Um, but you know, those are probably some of the, the most obvious, um, when you're, when you're looking at where they might go next. Uh, but I think everyone's just kind of waiting out to see if Lou comes back. Yeah. It, it, to your question about the other teams that have advanced in the playoffs and not lo- lost these coordinators, it's, it's the chiefs again, they, they advance every year. It seems like, and B and Spagnolo have been there and Brett Veach, the, the GM has been there since 2017. I mean, if, if there's, if there's another franchise out there that you want to be compared to and you want to model against that, the chiefs would be the one, they are the dynasty in the league right now. So, so yeah, I don't know how many other times it's happened. I'd have to look that up, but off the top of my head, I know that the chiefs are the one that come right to mind. Yeah, good company to be in, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it, it might – the quarterback can bring a lot of job security, okay? It's good <laughs> It's it's good business to be in playing with an elite quarterback. Um, but, the, yeah, just the, just the fact that you've seen everybody want to stay put and want to ride it out just goes to show you when you have a good place to work, when you have a place that you know you're going to win, uh, when everything feels like it's in place, no one's in a rush to leave unless it feels like the perfect opportunity or the one that is timely for them. You have the luxury of waiting rather than taking a job that maybe you don't think is ideal for you, especially if you're a young coach. So um, which, I got one yeah, more go thing about one more thing about the chiefs. Um, obviously lost the AFC championship game last year, come back this year and win the Super Bowl. Um, we, we talked about it this time last year a lot about the Super Bowl hangover and how tough that would be. Teams that lose the conference championship game, especially in the AFC, it's the exact opposite effect. It is, it's amazing what the, the success level that these teams have had the year after they lose a conference champ, championship game. In, in 2017, the Jags and the Vikings both lost and didn't make the playoffs. Uh, since then, Every team that lost a conference championship game has come back and won their division the following year. Um, the Chiefs went all the way and won the Super Bowl twice. Um, the Packers came back and went to the NFC championship game the following year. 49ers came back and went to the championship game the following year. Um, it, it's it, it's just crazy. And, and I was looking that that's that's all AFC NFC going back that. But if you go back to the start of 2000, teams in the AFC that have lost the AFC Championship game, 16 of 22 have finished first in their division the following year. Wow. And 7 of 13 have at least gone to the conference championship game the following year. Wow. That's a little more than half. For those of you not good at math, five of 11 have won the Super Bowl the following year. That's just wow. a little less than half. And I mean, it's it's remarkable. And, and and you think about it. This is only AFC. So you're talking about these runs of of Brady and Roethlisberger and now Mahomes. And but I 
Burrow's a, a comp to that. I mean, you, you have to, you, like you said, you've got that quarterback in place. Everything else works out, and it doesn't look like this team's going to fall. You never know, but I mean, this team looks like it's built to last. And just, I don't know if it's that where just good teams stay good when you have a good quarterback, or if there is something to that, a, an incentive, a, an added fire or hunger after getting so close to a Super Bowl and then coming back the next year and and just playing even better. I think there, I mean, I think there is a, a level of the Super Bowl hangover being real, a slice of that. Mm-hmm. And Lord knows we beat that into death last year. I think there is a slice of that of there's just so much of a ugh, you know, you're you're so close and the fallout from that. And 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 typically you do see a lot of people getting paid and leaving or whatever and, and, mm-hmm. and getting rewarded. Um and then I think there is a a lot of motivation that comes from not getting there and being so close of what do we got to do to take that next step? And a, I do think there is a, a good team that understands exactly what kept them just barely away and a lot of motivation to to get back um, and understand that next step. I, I, I mean, though, it's hard to argue with numbers like that. I mean, that's that's 20 plus years, you know, 22 times i mean that's that's incredible 16 to 22 division winners is incredible five of 11 won the super bowl (laughs) and that's five of the last 11 yes the last Um, 11 won the super bowl i i should say that 16 of the 22 there there's another slight asterisk with that there in in 2005 and 2003 the the steelers being one of those because they won the super they they finished first in their division, but they didn't actually win their division. They lost it in a tiebreaker to the Bengals. But still, sixteen to twenty two finished atop their division, and then fourteen to twenty two actually won the division. Incredible, um, good stuff to keep in mind. There you go, positivity, Bengals fans on a, <laughs> on a Valentine's Day. That's that's uh, Jay Morrison giving his love to you on Valentine's Day. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What I want to talk to you next before we bring Mo in here in about 10 minutes is kind of the idea of shifting, you know, now from build to sustain. And this is a lot of last week you heard from Mike Potts, director of college scouting. I talked to the Bengals director of pro scouting, Steve Verdisovich, as well this week. That story is probably up now as you're listening to this. Um, And I just wanted to kind of bring you a little bit of something that Steven said. Um, talking specifically about the concept of going from build to sustain and what that means for this year, next year, and, and 
and kind of what that looks like through a, a pro lens. And he said, look, the, the cap will, fish will obviously start affecting us. We're not going to be able to go out and spend and pay a bunch of guys. We're going to try to keep our own guys. Then obviously you have to build through the draft. The last couple of years, we've been able to add in free agency and add some pieces, places where we were missing guys and add some depth through free agency, add starters through free agency. Now it's going to be keeping our guys, stay in the roster we have and build through the draft and waiver claims. If there are guys hanging on later on in free agency, hanging on and they want to come play for the Bengals, looking to add guys that route, guys that want to win games. Um, and, and I think that's kind of uh, notable when you talk about, okay, yeah, want to win games. And, but it's that what you've seen, the the Hendricksons, the readers, um, even the Kappas and Dead Karras, and the, you know, in the first immediate minutes of free agency is really morphing into something of the past. And that's what Steven, I think, is talking about. That That's the biggest change. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to go out there and sign or not have targets or not have things they're trying to do. But I think Bengals fans that look at free agency and get excited and think it's going to look like the last few years, I, I think that's something that he's saying. And, 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 and Potts said the same thing last week. That is just, it's it's what gets phased out because you don't need to. You don't have glaring, obvious starting spots you have to fill, right? You don't. don't. They don't have an offensive line that needs four new starters. They don't have a defense that is in, in leadership voids that are everywhere like they've had in part of this build. They need to build around what's already here, invest in the sustaining and then fill in the other parts uh, with free agency. And you'll have a lot more guys that want to latch on and chase a ring Mm -hmm. that want to be on a winning team that aren't happy with what happened in free agency. And they're in wave three. And that's what he's referencing guys that are hanging around the end. Maybe if I just go win in Cincinnati, that'll get me what I want. You know, he, he went on to tell me later, you know, I, that's something I saw a little of last year, but I think you're going to see a lot more of now as people really realize what the Bengals are going to be and what Burrow is and what that can be for them. And so I think the expectation is free agency will will change in that way. That's a big part of the next level of what the Bengals' um, offseason plans are, are, are going to be. Yeah, and, and the other part of it is, yeah, it's going to be different. Um, and everybody focuses on the money they've spent in free agency the last few years, but Almost lost in that is how this this front office and Duke and his staff have really been able to go out and target these under the radar guys, not guys just want to chase rings, but guys that that, you know, the Eli Apples and and the guys that you can bring in here, BJ Hill, Hayden Hurst. Yeah, those guys that that you can you know will, will fit you well, that you believe still have more in the tank than maybe what the offers are at the current time. I just, I think they've done a really good job of, of plucking these guys. And um, that's, that's where they're going to need to, to kind of make, Hey, this off season, you're not going to be able to go out and get the, the big name guys to start, even though they've done well with that, they've done good on this side of it too. And I, I think that's, it's, it's changed. It, it used to always be the, the hand wringing of Bengal fans about never do anything in free agency. And um, they retain all their own, own guys and they don't, they don't go out and get anybody. And 
they they've changed that the last couple of years, but they've also changed the way they they target the the third wave guys that you mentioned. And maybe these just I don't know if outcast is the right word, but scrap heap's definitely not the right word. I'm trying to think of what it is, but that's what they're that's what they're going to be dealing with this offseason. And and I think a lot of fans should have faith that they're they're gonna be able to mine a few more gems. Yeah, and, and their free agency targeting has has had a very specific, especially the last couple of years, um, a specific zone, and that has been these mid-tier uh first you know fresh off your rookie deal guys i mean where you're not top of the market you know in that five to eight million per year range uh probably a second wave type guy even if they sign them early i mean all these guys bell hilton cheeto kappa karis i mean this whole line has been mid-tier young None of these older dudes in their 30s, they just are not doing it. They're not going to sign a free agent in their 30s. They're going to sign younger guys that maybe have a little chip on their shoulder that didn't like the way free agency went down for them because they're not in the top tier, but there's still plenty of talent. You're still paying them okay. But if there's maybe it's instead of there be and they like the idea of there being sign five of those guys instead of two of the top guys, mm-hmm. sign more and they start and they work out for you and you have depth of roster. The thing is, you won't have as many now, but I think you still have some, and it's not that they can't do any. You know, we so we were going through. Uh, people have asked about the choose your own adventure uh, mock off season exercise we've done the last two years. Doing that again, very excited to bring it to you. We've been going through all the stuff, and Jay's about to dive deep in the sheets. He's about to go deep <laughs> in the spreadsheets for you to make it all work so nicely. Uh, but we've gone through all the numbers and the free agents and everything, and and the whole process. And it's it's really interesting when you try to pinpoint, okay, what is the actual number um, of how much uh, that they, they will they would potentially spend? What is the difference in your in your cap hits for 2023 with the potential of extensions and things like that? And they still you know they still have the ability to go out and sign who they you know and have some flexibility this year, um, but it's not as much as it was last year. Uh, and I do think that you will see more of a focus on investing in their own free agents, probably starting with a guy like Von Bell, which brings me to Chase and Higgins, um, who were going around making the rounds at Radio Row at the Super Bowl um, and saying all the right things, right? Hmm. T. Higgins, uh, Jamar Chase talking about keeping keeping everybody together for the long haul. Jamar Chase, the one that's going around, said, look, at the end of the day, I don't think Joe's really too worried about how much money he's going to make because he's already making a tremendous amount. It'll all work itself out. I think Joe knows what he wants and how he wants to set up his contract to keep some of his weapons around him, and I think that's the biggest part for him. Boy, news to Bengals fans' ears. Right? I mean, that's that's just sweet, sweet music. It's what everyone wants to hear. Joe's going to set it up so that everyone can stay. And maybe he does. Maybe he does. We just don't know that. There's just no way to say that for sure. Um, Higgins saying, look, at the end of the day, I know what I've got going on internally with the organization. I love Cincinnati. I love being there. Hopefully, I'm there for most of my career. Again, saying all the right things. Sounds great. Everyone wants to stay together this time of year. Of course you do. And you certainly want that to be the case. Um, but the bottom line is at some point, we'll have to find out where the sacrifices come from, whether it's from Burrow, whether it's from Higgins, whether it's from Chase, in order to try to make all that happen. So... Two flies in the ointment there. 
I, yeah. I don't want to be, I, I gave you some good news for Valentine's day. There's two things that, that kind of stuck out to me on those quotes. The first one, the Jamar chase one, you know what word he used three times in that quote you read? Yeah. Think, think. Yeah. I, I mean, is he actually talking to Joe Burrow about this? Is Joe sharing Maybe. his thoughts with it? Or is this just, Hey, I, I hope this is true. So I'm going to say, this is what I think to be true. I mean, I mean, I, we don't know, but I, I, that just struck me. And, and sometimes guys, when they, when they say things, they just put, I think in front of it. But yeah, that I do wonder about that. How much Joe's actually talking to Jamar about what the long-term plan is. The thing with T, he also said, they asked him directly, do you see yourself as a number one receiver? And he said, yes, absolutely. Does that mean he wants to get paid like a number one receiver? Cause that's probably not going to happen here in Cincinnati as long as Jamar is here. And does he want to get targeted like a number one wide receiver? And he's going to have to split everything with Jamar if, if they're going to keep them together. So that that's a big part of that. I remember when when Tyler Boyd was coming up, and he was he was kind of the opposite. He he had, he had no problem saying, "I just want to stay here. I don't mind being second fiddle to 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 AJ Green." And it would have been crazy for him to say, "You know, I I should be a number one." He wasn't in that same tier as T Higgins. But there's there's a mindset with these guys um, where where they want to be the dude, and you know maybe T's different. Maybe he's happy to stay here and, and keep the band together, but. Um, the fact that he said he views himself as a number one, we'll, we'll see if, if, if that means test the market. Marvin Jones yeah. uh, hit free agency and the Bengals had a number in mind for him. He wanted to go try to be a number one somewhere and did go to Detroit when Calvin Johnson retired in hopes of being that. Um, and and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, do, do what you want to do. I, I just think the thing to keep in mind is the perspective of, yes, everybody can say the right things and, and want mm-hmm. this to happen. It's absolutely the case. And I'm positive everybody involved wants it to happen. It's just it comes down at some point to a matter of what you want to be, where you want to be, and how much you really want to make and what you're willing to sacrifice. And those don't always align with what you want would love to happen saying the right things. That's great. And and I, and I hope, and I think everybody involved, Bengals, T, Jamar, Joe, all feel like they want to find a way to make that work. The bottom line is though, sometimes when it does get to the point, it is a lot harder to make that work because people have to ask the question, should we try to make this work um, and sacrifice X, Y, and Z when it's right in front of you. At the end of the day, when you end up there at the deadline and you have to say, in order to do this, we will have to give up this, 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 and this at some point. Mm-hmm. Is when you is when those things that you want don't end up happening. Everybody wants to see those guys stay together, and uh, and they're and they're going to do everything they can to try to make it happen. There's just a lot of steps and logistics that are involved in making it turn from, uh, you know, we think we're going to find a way. Joe's going to structure things to keep people around, and I hopefully I'm here for the rest of my career. To mm-hmm. The Bengals sign Chase Higgins and Burrow, and it all works out for all parties. There's just there's just a lot involved in there. That that's all, and I don't think that's necessarily a secret. Uh, one last thing I want to get into numbers before we bring uh, Mo in is I want to. So as part of the mock offseason cap stuff, I was going through. Okay, what will the what would the 2023 cap hit be uh, for Burrow and Higgins? I got to find out what that's going to be so people know what to put into the sheet. 
it's really hard to do with quarterbacks because it, it could go a number of different ways. But inevitably, when you look at the history, some of the most of the recent deals, I landed it at about three and a half million to what his current cap hit is, it was eleven and change. Um, to get it at right around fifteen uh, is where it ends up being. It's a small amount. It's a very small bump uh, in year one. Typically, these things have been rolling guarantees that come in later. Your cap hit really hits big in the third year. Um, from the time you signed that deal, which is Buffalo going through that now as Josh Allen's starting to really hit. The interesting one was Higgins. Uh, when you look at the deals that are on the table, which already we saw them all last year, Debo, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, we've been talking about these in recent weeks. They went from year three, um, year three cap number, which were all between 1.1 and 2.1 as part of their rookie contracts, all these guys' second, third-round picks, um, they all went up almost as a very similar amount. Debo went from 2-1 in year three to 6-8 in year four. Brown went from 1-5 in year three to 5-6 the next year. DK went from 1-3 in year three to 8-8 the next. And then Terry went from 1.1 million to 7.3 million um, in the last year. So you see kind of a, a very similar Bump, and then the next year, boom, it starts really going up and hitting. And they, all these deals were kind of structured the same way, which I think you're going to see with Higgins. So keep that in mind. I, that may put me at about uh, probably an extra 3.2 is where I landed on the sheet uh, on this year's actual cap. So when you talk about combining Higgins and Burrow, you're talking about six and a half extra million on the 2023 cap. Now, the cash... Hey, that's not our problem. I'm glad it's not my problem. The cash yes. that they would have to give to those guys this year would be significant and part of what they're talking about when they talk about how much money can you really give. But when you're talking about the room to keep the window open, those are pretty specific numbers I think you can pinpoint. It's, it's, it, that's not a super you know, restricting number no. to this year. But that's just for this year when we talk about that. But something worth keeping in mind. All right. Our good friend and yours, Mo Egger, is here. Let's bring him in. Mo, what's going on? How we doing, guys? What's going on? Uh, hey, Mo. I'm doing All great. Right. Are, I mean, how many times over the course of the next however many months, years, can we wear out the should the Bengals, can the Bengals sign Burrow, T, and Chase <laughs> and just keep trotting <laughs> it back out there in different ways until it eventually happens or doesn't happen? I. It's funny. I was trying to come up with another angle. I was on for Lance last night, so I wasn't doing my show. So I was on at night, which means I had three extra hours to prepare. And I racked my brain trying to come up with yet another angle. And I, I think I'm tapped out. I think I'm done already. I'm, I'm, yeah. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where else I can go with this. I, I've the, the angle that I've beaten to death. Um, and frankly have gone maybe a little bit overboard with is uh, I love the idea that uh, well, Joe Burrow, he'll take less. Mm -hmm. How do you know? <laughs> well, he, you know, he the, the the Tom Brady comparison. Okay, that means he's going to take less. And I think what's happened is we've almost put the onus on him. So I have spent uh, a ridiculous amount of time sort of imploring people don't put this on Joe Burrow. It's not Joe Burrow's responsibility to take less money. Uh, if he does fine if he doesn't well that's okay too we should all try to get whatever we think we're worth and if somebody's willing to pay us that that's okay 
I, I did. I've all, I've thought about Joey Votto a lot the last couple of weeks because we're getting ready for a weird year for him because this could be it. The Reds are probably going to be awful. He's been great. What's going to happen with him this year? And for a lot of folks with Joey Votto, they can't talk about him without referencing his salary. And the Reds' woes of the last decade have often by some been pointed at Joey Votto. I've always felt that to be dramatically unfair. Uh, it's not a very apples to apples comparison, but I hope what happens, I hope what doesn't happen moving forward is whatever happens to the Bengals and whatever happens with the roster, if Joe Burrow becomes the highest paid player in the league, even for a while, uh, or whatever that contract looks like, it's not on Joe Burrow. This, this isn't Joe Burrow's responsibility. This is Duke Tobin and the Brown family's responsibility to keep the team good. And by the way, I think they can. And my guess is they do. Uh, so anyway, I've run that into the ground for the last couple of days. And I guess this particular show is just a continuation of that. No, no, we're not going to go any further into no. that topic. We're going to wrap <laughs> that up. Good. I, Thank I you. Wanna, like, let's talk about the Super Bowl, maybe even officiating. That's another fun one to dive into, right? Uh, I No, I want to I wanna ask you this. Did you? Ha- I'm curious what your Bengals Super Bowl takeaway is. Did you have a Bengals lens through which you uh, you watched that game and, or uh, reacted to? No. Um, uh, <laughs> Other uh, than no, frustration. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been interesting to see if Philadelphia's defensive front would have been as non-productive against the Bengals as it was against Kansas City. My guess is Philadelphia wouldn't have been held sackless, but to me, that was the real uh, story of the game. This this vaunted, I mean, I I didn't watch much of the 22 hours of pregame coverage. What I <laughs> did see, I, I saw comparisons between the 85 Bears and the 2022 Eagles defense. Uh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, um, I would have been curious to see how they would have handled Philadelphia. The the lens through which I watched it was wondering if KC winning means the Bengals are going to open up the season on Thursday night in Kansas City more than anything else. But no, look, um, oftentimes I watch the Super Bowl thinking, God, look, that team that just won it is way up here. And the team that I root for, boy, look at that gap. I don't think that gap is very significant. Um, the Bengals came this close to beating Kansas City. Um one might argue they should have beaten Kansas City. Joe Burrow had the ball two and a half minutes to go and timeouts in his back pocket. All they needed was three. And in real time, I thought they were going to get it. So I, I often watch the Super Bowl sort of through that lens of, God, here's how far away the Bengals are. I don't think they're that far away. Uh, clearly, this is going to be a really interesting offseason. But it, it, I didn't I didn't view the game through that lens uh, so much this year. Um more more than anything, it was just sort of the wistfulness of, uh, God, they were that close, and um, I should be in Glendale watching this game in person because if the Bengals would have pulled through or if any number of things would have happened against KC, we'd be watching Joe and company, and and maybe maybe we'd have a parade this week, and and I think I think I'm I would have no shortage of Bengals fans who kind of did the same thing. I mean, my tech my Bengals takeaway from that Super Bowl was. It kind of a continuation of last year. It's what a difference a quality offensive line can make because it wasn't just the Chiefs O line blanking the Eagles D line with 70 sacks, 162 pressures, whatever it was. But the other side, I mean, Chris Jones wrecked the Bengals in the championship game. He was mm-hmm. almost invisible 
in that Super yeah. Bowl. He only had a couple tackles. I don't he I don't remember seeing him in the backfield except the time he dove over the pile and hit Jalen Hurts on the fourth and one. I mean, both those O lines were really, really good. And if that's if that's what you get when you have two O lines together, seventy three points and offenses that move the ball at will. Just imagine what this offense can do if they can ever get that that O line figured out. And I, I know they're making steps towards it, but to, to get from pretty good to elite is, is is a big jump still. And then the other thing, what you mentioned, I looked this up because I'm always curious about the schedule too. And I, I even tweeted it. I said, you can book it. It's going to be Chiefs, Bengals at Chiefs in the season opener. Well, the Royals are home that day mm-hmm. and we know they share a parking lot. And I I looked, there's only one, the last time that Royals and, and Chiefs played at home on the same day was 2013. Um, they It was a Monday night football game The the thing is that that Chiefs Royals or the the Royals White Sox game that day is a one o'clock start where the the Thursday night game obviously be at night so they'd have time to clear it. Um, there's since they started doing this in 04 where the Super Bowl champion host on Thursday night, there's only been three instances where you even had a, an opportunity to have a Super Bowl rematch because obviously the AFC and the NFC you don't play all those teams. You have a one in four chance. Um, Three times they've had a chance for it to happen, and only once in 2016 they just rebooted the Super Bowl and, and had Panthers and uh, Broncos, and they have that opportunity this year. The Eagles are scheduled to go to Arrowhead. I don't know if they would do that and put them, but either way, it's 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 going to be an issue for them logistically to have both those games at home in Kansas City when those stadiums are right next to each other and share a parking lot. Look, the Royals are taking this one on the chin, Jay. Yeah. The Orioles, well, the <laughs> well, Orioles that, that game's getting moved. <laughs> the Orioles said, no, we're not doing it. it the year that the, the Ravens won the Super Bowl. And so the Ravens had to go on the road and open at Denver that year. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't think the Royals are going to do anything in that city to to stand up to the Chiefs. I, I think they will uh, they'll move that game or do what they have to do to let the Chiefs open at yeah. home on Thursday night. So, so there is precedent for this, though, and I, <clears throat> I don't have the details. But right before the pandemic hit in March of 2020, this was a thing. Because the Royals were scheduled to start or to play a game on Thursday. The Chiefs had won the Super Bowl. They were going to start mm-hmm. the season. And the Royals took that Thursday game and they put it on the end of a day-night doubleheader, either earlier in the week or mm-hmm. maybe it was that that weekend. So they made an adjustment to the schedule. It ended up being a moot point because of the pandemic and mm-hmm. baseball teams. I think the Chiefs for that game ended up having some fans, if I'm not mistaken. What I remember most is the Andy Reid face shield. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the Royals drew fans. but So they they made an adjustment to the schedule uh, because I did the exact same thing. I, I, I Frankly, on, on the drive home from Kansas City, on the ride home from Kansas City, I looked at the schedule thinking, God, if the Chiefs win, that's right now maybe the NFL's best rivalry. Why wouldn't they play on Thursday? And so here we are. So they can move that Kansas City game. They can move that Kansas City Royals game, and, and my guess is uh, they will. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the lens through which I watched it. But, yeah, I mean, watching those offensive lines, it made you appreciate, um, I, I think, how much farther the Bengals have to go in that regard. Um, also, it's – I'm, I'm – happy is maybe not the right word, but I think back to the 2020 draft – Joe Burrow, Tua Tangavailoa, and Justin Herbert. If you would have introduced to the conversation specifically here, you would have been laughed at. 
Uh, and the fact that that guy became the first this this close to being the first quarterback in that class to win a Super Bowl was uh, would have been a hell of a storyline, given all the time spent on Burrow and Tua and Herbert and those guys deserving their run that they've gotten. And Joe Burrow coming this close to winning one himself. I, I thought about that a lot. I thought about what it would have been like had somebody said, I don't know, in February of 2020. Hey, let's let's at least consider Jalen Hurts. You would have been laughed at. And yet Jalen Hurts was terrific. I know he had the fumble that was a scoop and score. He was terrific on that stage. And just another name to add to the conversation about what quarterback contracts moving forward are are going to look like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just fascinating uh, offseason for quarterback contracts when you look <laughs> at Burrow, Herbert, Hurts, everything that's happening with Lamar Jackson, all happening at the same time. Um, just it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes next. Um, the offensive, all one offensive line thought. I'm gonna go ahead and give a decent percentage of the offensive line success in that game to that trash field they play yeah, on. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, every single play, defensive lineman can't get any traction trying. I mean, which always that's gonna benefit the offensive line every single time. It showed on both sides the the fact that both defensive lines couldn't do anything, and all they're doing is falling to the ground every single play. How does that happen? How does it happen that the Super Bowl? ends up with that type of a disastrous field, you know, not helping the, hey, every game should be on a grass <laughs> crew there on that one because that was truly awful. We've seen the same problems um, that that have happened in recent years. I mean, even the SoFi thing, there was a lot of complaints about the paint portions, that that was mm-hmm. a part of the reason mm-hmm. uh, you had injuries there and that it was real slick last year. I mean, it just seems like so it's time to get a handle for what the hell is going on with these Super Bowl fields. Or if you've got a bad offensive line, get that turf. Get that turf. <laughs> there Paul, it is. Oklahoma State University was bragging on Twitter before the game about how they this is our grass, this is our turf. Boy, Ooh. they they probably Ooh. wanted to delete that tweet. But my thought was, if I'm the Bengals, I'm calling Oklahoma State. I'm calling the people that paint the field. <laughs> Install it hey, tomorrow. Look. You know, it's like in baseball when I was a kid, right? If like the St. Louis Cardinals would go play a team that had a grass field and they were trying to neutralize their speedsters, they would grow the grass really high. Well, you can tailor the field to your weakness or to the other team's strength, right? So let's have this crappy, slick, impossible to get footing field. And suddenly the Bengals will have the best offensive line in the league. Boom. (laughs) Problems solved. All right, let's just take a quick break. Uh, Jay, we we have to get to what people have been dying to know. I mean, so much talk in the streets about this everywhere I go. It's what's going to (laughs) happen with the season-long fake, not even real betting situation. How did it turn up? Um, Brian Dable saved Mo Egger and gave him a title. Mo lost both of his Super Bowl bets. He took (laughs) Eagles money line and Miles Sanders plus 2,500. Lost both of those, but the day bowl coach of the year, which Mo made that bet ahead of week 18. So it was only eight to five. It wasn't a huge windfall, but it was enough to get him over the top. Um, Mo finishes at 237.4, Paul at 226.7, and I finished at 223.6. If Andy Reid had not deferred, I would have won this title because I had Kelsey first touchdown 
And instead, the Eagles get the ball, go down and score. And then the Chiefs on their first possession go down and get a Kelsey touchdown. So if Andy Reid would have been Zach Taylor and taken the kickoff, I would be the champ right now. But ifs and buts, candy's nuts. You all know that. Um, I I, I hit my uh, parlay. I had Chiefs plus one and a half and over 50 and a half. Um, Paul had a McKinnon anytime TD. And the kids slid down at the one yard line. line. (laughs) I just Uh, Paul 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 did win his uh, Kansas City money line, but had I don't that would have been close. I I need to add that because McKinnon anytime TD was only plus one sixty, and he only had five on it because you also put five five. on the Gatorade. Ah, well, the Gatorade too. Purple. Yeah purple yeah. frustrating can Very i just ask you guys if the legacy of this particular super bowl could be the official death of nobody believed we could win yeah oh god travis yeah. kelsey i love travis kelsey <laughs> really nobody nobody thought before the season you know that chiefs team they could they could hoist a lombardi but you may want to look out for them kind of a sleeper I know they've been to four straight <laughs> AFC title games. Don't sleep on those Chiefs with Patrick yeah. Mahomes and Andy Reid. You know, have you heard? Have you heard of them? They might make some noise in the AFC West. And if they get in, eh, take a flyer on them. Take a can flyer. Can this be the death? I know we we beat this angle to death because the Bengals played it up. C- can this officially be the end of, nobody gave us a chance. This goes to show all the doubters. Nobody picked us. Not one of you. Like, not one of you. <laughs> Not one of you, literally. I think actually, I most of them that you're pointing uh, at right now. Yes, yeah. nobody believed in the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody gave them a chance. They've got the the MVP. Nobody thought. Yeah, God, you know what? This game, God, I I might pick Kansas City. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> this has to be the death of it. I never want to hear it again. Yeah. Stop it. The I mean, look. It's really the two underdogs of the football world this year, Georgia football and the Kansas right. City Chiefs. I mean, they yeah. were just underdogs from the beginning, true Cinderella stories. Great to see them uh, come to the top. And apologies to all uh, Bengals fans that had to experience the PTSD of the late holding call uh, at the end of this one. It just felt like unnecessary emotional shrapnel that Bengals fans caught at the end of this one, which is <laughs> tough, tough to bring back the Logan Wilson call out of nowhere on them. Yeah, I was I was waiting for Olsen and Burkhardt to bring up that reference, and that uh, that didn't happen. By the way, the only team that's allowed to use the "no one believes in us" or thinks we can win is the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, yes, like because truly if that, no one does. If that becomes a theme starting today in Goodyear, I'm here for that. Yeah, nobody thinks we can win. Eh, you're probably right. Yeah, you're right. Prove us wrong. Absolutely, no one does. Uh, yes. Uh, Mo, on that note, I will see you this afternoon on ESPN 1530 from 3 to 4. And uh, have a good one till then. Okay, guys. Thank you. See you. See you, Mo. See you. All right. Great to catch back up with Mo. And uh, let's let's move it forward now. We're going to talk a little bit about your questions. You've got some Q&A to get through, some that people have sent in. Uh, on Twitter, we can dive into a few random topics. If you're watching on YouTube, again, thanks to everybody. Like, subscribe, comment, all those things. Good to have you here. Um, if you have a question, drop it in there. I see a few things in there. We'll kind of f- make our way through some of those uh, as we go through this too. But I've got three, four. I've got four in front of me right now. Um, first one comes from Steve. Uh, how the Bengals might use the franchise tag um 
to start to answer your question, I don't see them using the franchise tag this year. Last year, they used it on Jesse Bates uh, when they you know, were having trouble getting a deal done with him. Um, it made sense in that spot. He ended up getting $12.9 million guaranteed, and they were happy to pay it to keep him around for another year. There's really nobody that fits that bill. I mean, their most aggressive, I think, target will be Von Bell. Um, but they're not going to give Von Bell the safety number this year because of all those safety dollars that have gone out recently is 14 and a half mil. I mean, that's a big number. You're not putting give that to Von Bell. Um, uh, two of their notable numbers, by the way, amongst the franchise tag values this year, uh, the QB number is 32.4. I mean, if things go as bad as could possibly ever happen the qb number is still on the rise uh, up in the 30s you can get up into 30 probably close to 40 when you'd ever be talking about using that in a very terrible situation uh again i never would see it coming to that with joe burrow but just one worth keeping in mind the wide receiver number is up to 19.8 mil so that would be a next year mm-hmm. with t higgins so the 2024 this time this time next year you'd be talking about t higgins potentially taking it i would imagine that number would go up as well um so you'd be up well north of 20 million dollars in a one-year franchise tag potentially for t higgins if they can't get a deal done this year um maybe the most likely scenario even though it's a big number who knows what what, what they would do we'd have a lot of time discussing that uh they did pay aj green um, the franchise tag a couple of years ago in hopes of him coming back and be good. So there's precedent of them being willing to use a big franchise tag number on a receiver. Um, so it could end up there. But just keep in mind where that number is at in the back of your head for next year. For this year, I don't think it'll matter. Don't see anybody getting the tag from the Bengals. Yeah, and some other, some people have asked, it. yes, they could technically tag Jesse again. Um, but it's not going to happen. Not with the, the amount of money that would cost. The, the the other issue when you do that, when you tag a guy two years in a row, you have to pay 20% on top of the tag number. So that would be an extra 2.8 on top of that, what, 14.5. So he would be up at 17.3 for a, for a safety tag number. Which is about right where, if not more, than they were willing to previously guarantee him over the course of the True. entire contract. So, I mean, they're not going to. They're not going to go there. I mean, they'd be they would be more likely to give more guarantee, you know, that guaranteed money plus some uh, over the course of a longer term deal, than they would just give it all in one year. And Jesse doesn't want that. No, we're not. And that's that's not a direction that they're going to go with that. Uh, let's go next question from AJ Eigel. Uh, who's asking about tight end free agents? Uh, the Bengals do not have any tight ends under contract. We know. Hayden Hurst, Drew Sample, uh, Mitch Wilcox, all guys they had in-house this year, all they need to negotiate with about potentially bringing back. Um, This question was asked specifically coming off of Dane Brugler, uh, who put out his top 100 today uh, for the draft, and a notable grouping that, considering the Bengals' tight end situation where they can go any direction they want to, he had four. Yes. Not one, not two, not three, four tight ends between 24th and 30th overall, <laughs> um, including Northern Kentucky product Michael Mayer. I know many people talk about with the local connection, but four 
tight ends projected to be available in that space with the Bengals picking 28th. Um, notable. I'm not not saying they go that direction, but when they're considering their path, it's certainly there to say if they're going to want a first-round tight end, there's a pretty good chance that one they like a lot would be available at their spot in the first round. I thought that was notable. As for actual tight ends, um, you know, the classes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Hayden Hurst is out there. I think he's probably of all the free agents that are tight ends, your best chance of him come him being here and coming back. Because here's the thing: great tight end draft class, a lot of top first round guys, a lot of guys that can have big impacts. It's going to hurt the cost of the, in free agency for all of these guys. Some names that are out there. Dalton Schultz. I mean, that's a guy who's going to get a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Evan Ingram. Mike Yasicki, who didn't really have a good role in Miami. More of a receiving tight end, but maybe that's what they're looking for. Um, Austin Hooper. Foster Moreau. I mean, it, this is the names. You know, cap casualties, there's always a chance somebody like that can have. There's not a lot of names out there right now as far as who that could be. Zach Ertz. I don't know. They would go for somebody in their 30s like that. Um you know, so it's not some grand tight end class where you could see them target. This, though, could be where they look for the next Hayden Hurst, a guy who doesn't see the market. The market doesn't develop for the tight ends. Somebody's sitting there at wave two or three and saying, I need to find a good landing spot where I can put up numbers and come back at it next year. Maybe it's one of those guys we just mentioned. So a question within a question. If if they do bring back Hayden Hurst, which would be in March sometime, you think ahead of the draft, they would know they had him in place. Where do you think the chance lies that they still get another one of these tight ends? The other ones that are in that group, Lucas Musgrave from Oregon State, Darnell Washington from Georgia, Dalton Kincaid from Utah to go along with Mayer. Would they go tight end first round if they bring Hayden Hurst back because we've seen them do this before. Positions where draft the, the 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 succession plan where you you get a guy to to take over that you don't necessarily need that first season. Sure, sure. I mean, I, having two quality tight ends is not something that they're against. They're going to be looking for the long term and the short term. Um, Hurst would certainly feel very familiar in that situation. <laughs> yes, he would. Always the second <laughs> year in these places, they end up drafting somebody, you know, or or investing in the other guy mark andrews uh kyle pitts showed up in atlanta and he came to cincinnati and then maybe he comes back and they end up drafting somebody i think that's possible i don't think especially they didn't bring back sample and you still had that other position there and you're looking to have somebody who can be in a in a role with the other guy and then take over as a number one type guy down the line sure i i don't i don't think um that's something they would be against they have aggressively gone after the tight end position consistently organizationally, um, whether you're talking about going back to Tyler Eifert, who they picked when they had Jermaine Gresham, uh, whether you're talking about uh, picking Drew Sample uh, in the second round, in in the first draft under Zach Taylor. I mean, taking Gresham when they did. I mean, when they had uh, Reggie Kelly, right, at that point. I think so, yeah. As a first-round pick. I mean, they – they value that position. They have aggressively overdrafted it more so than almost every team in the NFL. Um, so for the idea that it being one that they would target, I don't think is out of the question at all. Um, 
Next question from Twitter. Um, M. Dunlap, what are the chances that Joe Mixon actually gets cut this offseason? If they move on from Joe Mixon, could you see the Bengals drafting a running back in the first round? Um, I think the chances are good. We've talked about Joe Mixon potentially being let go um, a bunch. Uh, we had basically him and Lyle Collins is the most likely. I mean, Mixon is a big cap hit. He can save seven and change. Uh, if they cut him with a pre-June one, they can save 10 this year. Uh, if they give him a post-June one designation on that cut, um, that's a lot of money uh, for a guy who you know, wasn't exactly spectacular and was almost interchangeable with Samaj P. Ryan at times. Now, the second part of the question, though, Jay, <laughs> about the first round running back, I, I mean, you never know. Okay, and, and when they've needed running backs, they have been aggressive. I mean, whether you're talking about Mixon in the second round, whether you're talking about Giovanni Bernard uh, that was the first running back taken in that draft in the second round, um, Jeremy Hill, um, second-round pick. I mean, they've, they've certainly gone early. But I'll just give you this before I turn it over here. Now, I tweeted this out at, during the NFL Honors Awards show. Uh, they had offensive rookie of the year. There were four running backs uh, that got votes uh, in that. They were selected 41st, 107th, 101st, 251st in last year's draft. This is not a secret. This has been going on forever. I don't. I feel like I'm very repetitive about it, but I just want to keep hammering at home. If your goal would be to have Samaj P. Ryan playing alongside someone who receives offensive rookie of the year votes, there's <laughs> your precedent. Start with your third round pick at you know whatever ninety, uh, and that's where it starts. Third, fourth, fifth, undrafted, right? Some combination back there, you can bring somebody in who can have an instant impact, who can come along as a player, be your Isaiah Pacheco, your Damian Pierce, whoever, uh, as a rookie. Just keep that in mind when you start talking about when you would approach that position. Yeah, and I mean, P. Ryan's the, the variable in this whole thing where you you don't have to make that reach in the first round. And it... I don't know. The other part of it is you, and it kind of goes to tight end too. When you've got this group of wide receivers, do you feel like you need to invest that heavily at these other skill positions? When you you have guys that that can be quality mid round plug and play guys in those spots, um, you mentioned all those second rounders. Corey Dillon also a Bengals second rounder that went on to great a great career. <laughs> the last two maybe PTSD. The last two Bengals. Running backs taken in the first round, Chris Perry and Kajana Carter. Yeah. Way back before this whole regime, obviously, different era of football, but it, it just goes to show. I mean, the 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 hit rate on those first round picks is not as great as it is at other positions. And the hit rate on those later rounds is so much greater when you're talking about running backs. Um, I'd be stunned if they if they not if they cut Mixon, but if they if they took a first round running back, um, it just there's too many other more pressing needs at this time, and there's too many quality guys that you can get later in the draft. If they did, it would be a mistake, period. Yeah. It would be a mistake. 
I, I mean, I know that the, the people get enamored with a certain player, <clears throat> but I just think there's other directions uh, that, that you need to go. Also, notable, Daniel Jeremiah was talking this week about how this is an incredible class for running backs. Tons of starter depth, mm. tons of good running backs. He's like, I just keep putting them on. There's more and more and more. Um, keep that in mind as part of this conversation as well. Uh, all right, last one from Mitch G. Best town run passer boot, Mason, Westchester, or Hamilton? Little Cincinnati suburbia run passer boot for us, Jay? All right. I, I've i worked in Mason. Um, I've never lived in Mason. I've never lived in Westchester. I, I freak with them. Um, I, I just... Hamilton has a lot of great things going for it right now, but there's no way you can, you can run with Hamilton. There's it's, it's still, got Oh, that, come on. It, it's still got that iffy element where, I mean, <laughs> there were gunshots in my neighborhood last night. So yeah, not, there's no way I'm not running. With you just Hamilton. got recency bias. That's just recency gunshot bias. Okay. Uh, um, I'm going to go, I, I would run with Mason just based on Kings Island. I mean, I love that place. A uh, big part of my, not, I won't say childhood, but my formative years. Uh, there are a lot of other good things about Mason. Um, no complaints about Westchester either, although the, the the traffic there in that Union Center area is pretty air pooling. Um, so I'll do. I'll, I'll run with Mason. I'll pass on Westchester, and I'll unfortunately boot the city I'm sitting in right now, wow. which is Hamilton. No, that's recency bias. That's not. <laughs> Give Hamilton more love. I, I I grew up in Mason and Westchester. I, li- I live right there uh, in the middle of the two of them. I'm gonna I, I'll I'll run with Mason. Uh, I'm a strong strong believer in Mason. My wife has a shirt from Cincy Shirts that says Downtown Westchester scares me. Because uh, <laughs> for playing off of all people that claim Downtown scares them, it's Westchester's in smaller print underneath it. Uh, but uh, I still believe in that. I'll I'll. I'll pass on Hamilton. Give me give me oh. a piece of some Hamilton love, and I'll boot Westchester, um, which is fine. It's, it's very fine. It's fine. I have plenty. It's of not even technically a city. Yeah, I have it's a township. Of, it's got the cone. It's like the cone. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's that. All right. Um, I'm looking here on YouTube to see if there's anything else. Um, let's see. All right. This one from our good friends, good our good friend Paul over at the Who Day UK crowd. Uh, a, what is the likelihood of Pratt leaving? And if so, B, whereabouts do the draft? Do they draft a replacement? Not convinced ADG is a like for like replacement. Paul, with some ADG hate coming off. Hmm. I see you. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Well, I, I, I agree with him. I don't think ADG is a like replacement, but I just because Pratt has ascended every year he's been here, and he was really playing well last year. It's a good question. I I haven't dug into the and I and I didn't look at the uh, at Dane's rankings. How many linebackers he up there had up there in the top hundred? I, I would be. I mean, they if this franchise has a template, it's third round linebackers. I mean, that would that would kind of be where to you would think it would make the the most sense that in that mid third fourth round. Um, but that's without even diving into who's available yet and. Um, I, I, I still, I, I like Marcus Bailey a lot and he just hasn't had the opportunity. Um, this, this could be a big prove it year for him. Um, so I, I think they've got enough quality depth. You don't have anyone with, with Pratt's talent, but you've got enough quality depth there where I don't think you have to go get 
a linebacker right off the bat. And a lot's going to depend too on how they feel about their chances of, of re-signing Logan Wilson once he becomes a free agent after next year. Yeah. You know, I think that a draft, I don't know that you're drafting a replacement. I mean, I, I really, I, I, I think that the thought would be, look, give Akeem Davis Gaither more playing time. I go back to how happy Lou Anarumo was when Akeem Davis Gaither got that interception. Hmm. Um, and and I asked him about it afterwards. He said, it's just somebody that has put in so much work and come such a long way and deserve to have that moment. I think there's a lot of respect for who he has been behind the scenes. They just haven't needed him. I mean, they just, they're not going to displace Wilson or Pratt, and those guys have stayed healthy. And in his role, ADG has really come a long way, and I think the thought is give him a chance to ascend. I mean, he's going to be in a contract year. He's mm-hmm. going to be everything you want when you're trying to position. I think you're drafting someone to be the next ADG maybe. Um, and they also like the way guys have have filled in in that room, whether you're talking about Marcus Bailey or whoever. So maybe there's a, I think there's a day three pick in there somewhere, but I, I think you're turning it over a little bit to Logan Wilson and ADG to be those two guys and filling in backfilling more than you are front filling. Uh, and maybe there's a veteran involved in that. Um, you know, some, some guy who's sitting there at the end, you can sign for a million or two to come in and be a piece of that equation. But, um, you know, I, and as far as likelihood of Pratt leaving, I think it's, I think that's fairly likely. Yeah. I mm-hmm. agree with you on that. Uh, all right. Let's flip over and let's move to some Arby's time. Jay, do you have any Arby's for me? Um, I yeah. It, it, watching the Super Bowl, um, I I found myself just completely ignoring the commercials, and, and it's I think Twitter has ruined the Super Bowl curse commercials for me because Twitter can be a horrible place, but when there's a big event going on. It's a very entertaining place. And when the game would go to commercial, I found myself looking at my laptop screen and, and reading Twitter and um, d- not even really paying attention to to what was on the TV screen. And I've I have I have not been to a Super Bowl party since 2000. I just I don't like all the chatter, all the non football talk, even the football talk that interferes with hearing the broadcasters. And I just like to really digest and dive into the game um, and so that's, it's not uncommon that I just sit on my own couch and watch the game, but it's just, I don't know. I, I used to enjoy the commercials, not a, more than the football, but I did enjoy the commercials and I, I think they've fallen off a little and, and Twitter has supplanted Super Bowl commercials as my form of entertainment during the breaks. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I really noted many of the commercials either. Uh, I noted the, the, f- the commercial with the NFL commercial with the flag football is the Anaflores. I think uh, the flag football commercial, like right around halftime because they've done one of these every year. And it's always like, okay, where all the, uh, who's going to make a cameo in it. And it was, it was fine. Um, I think like everyone, my my wife turned to me when the Tubi commercial happened and it looked like the live stream was, was going to something else. I was like, I am not sitting on it. You know, I, I, I pre- good job by them. Good yeah. job by them of uh, doing that. That was pretty good. Um, so, but outside of that, yeah, I can't think of any that, that re- I'm with you. I, I kind of zone out. Of course, we were like at a party and then we had to drive to put our girls to bed at like halftime. So I missed a bunch of it. And I was just sort of not really in, engaged really at all. With you missed Rihanna? 
watched. We, no, well, of course. So look, the, okay. everyone needed to see Rihanna. Then we left. Okay. Yeah, that was more important than seeing any of the game. <laughs> we had to make sure we saw all of the, uh, the, the uh, what would we call that? The like army of furry white coated dancers uh, that that occurred. I like the stage setup. I like the uh, yeah. I like the hanging from the uh, ceiling. Uh, Do you want to do any damage to the field? No, of course, put the no. stage up high. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Got to take care of that field. Uh, so, uh, all right, that's that's a, that's a good one there. Uh, my Arby's is um, is a little is a little sad this week. Um, I don't know how many people know or knew um, Eric Bullinger. You might have known him. He's more known as Bubba Bo, uh, and mm. he was um, on WBE, WCKY. He was a staple of the overnight trucking network uh, on radio around here. Um, And he unfortunately passed away from cancer um, about a week and a half ago. And uh, he was very close to my family. Um, Ever since I met my wife, uh, uh, he's been with uh, my mother-in-law. And, um, you know, it was funny. There was stuff at his uh, visitation of his – it was an article from back in the 80s and how – he may have been the first person in market to put a bag on his head while doing a broadcast, like <laughs> like the beginning of the bag on the head era in like 1984. And I'm like, man, what a legacy that would be, yeah. you know, to be an original bag on the head before the 90s Bengals ever really even came in. But, you know, it was kind of a staple back in those days. But more than anything, one of the kindest, gentlest uh, souls you will ever meet and ever since you know he came into uh my life uh it's been great to to get to know him he loved my kids as much as any person could like they were his own and uh he was just a special dude and it was really it's really sad to have him gone um and uh so rest in peace to Bubba Bo uh he meant a lot to our family and uh, I know he's somebody that people might know tangentially around here. If you've been around Cincinnati or listened to the radio at all, if you've ever been driving overnight and you turn on the radio and there's uh, everybody uh, talking through on the trucking networks. Um, great, um, great dude. Great dude. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, sorry for your, for your, your loss of a friend. I, I, I'm one of those guys when, when I worked in Hamilton and worked the late nights taking calls or doing pagination or whatever, when I would drive home at one one thirty in the morning, I always listen. I'm, I'm, that show was kind of geared towards truck drivers, mm-hmm. but I found it so enjoyable. I always listen to it on on my drive home from work, and then whenever we go on vacations, we drive through the night and let the kids sleep. And I would always listen to Bubba Bo. Um, he was very very entertaining, and um, I agree with you. That's that's a very very sad loss. At the uh, at the visitation, some of the people who were. Ha- who were like listeners, loyal listeners of the trucking network showed up and by their, like they were there by their handles, like Catwoman, Dogman, and uh hood ornament. Like they all, that was their, their handles. Like, Oh, that's, that's hood ornament. And that's Catwoman. It's like, it, it's uh it was something. It was something great, dude. Great, great man. Um, all right. Uh, growler bet recap, Jay. Um, I think people were just turned. The Bengals happened. Bengals loss happened, and people were yeah. just like uh, they're not invested. They're not. They're out of it. Not as much attention to the growler, but and unfortunately, no score wiped out by penalty or New York in this one, which was surprising. The, the that was yeah. We we had a, a penalty declined after a touchdown, but that was because of an offsides. But yeah, none were wiped out. And you're right. I think Bengal fans are like, I don't even. Not even free beer can cheer me up um, after that AFC Championship game loss. I only had a few entries, and uh, the 
since there was no uh, touchdown negated by a penalty, the the backup one was most penalty yard or total penalty yards in the game. Um, and I think a lot of people would be surprised to know how low that was. There's so much talk about the officiating in that game because of that late flag. It was only 47 yards, penalty yards in that game, which is a really low number, um, kind of what you want to see in a game like this. But that that late holding call is, is going to dominate everybody's thoughts and conversations. But yeah, no, no winners. Um, I the closest, I believe, was 77. Um, and that's that doesn't that's almost double. You won't get us so close for that. Yep. Um, also want to give a shout out to the few entries that had some good subject headers. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Cheney is my winner for this week with please start the growler bet on my signal, uh, which is a great take <laughs> from the uh, when Ron Torbert voice. Uh, um, and then Joel White, Paul Daner, who reports in the growler, uh, which I appreciate is a shout out to the, uh, the, the Atlantic, the Atlantic, uh, the Atlantic <laughs> hit there. Um, all right. Uh, one last thing before we go, wanted to make sure we touched on the Hall of Fame announcement, yeah. uh, which happened. Ken Riley uh, officially. I mean, this was sort of a rubber stamp. We talked about that from the beginning. I mean, the real the Ken Riley news was back in August um, when the senior committee elected him. Uh, they kind of made it official. You got to see. Uh, hey, Ken Riley the second you got to see son come out and accept on the NFL Honors mm-hmm. Show. Uh, very cool uh, to see that finally happen. Um, Willie Anderson did not make it to the cut of 10. Uh, so Willie left out. But again, amongst the finalists uh, for two straight years, keep hanging around in the hope being that he will eventually um, make it through. No offensive linemen. You know, if the same group comes back plus the newcomers with, you know, now you've kind of cleared the deck with Joe Thomas, no other offensive linemen could be on the ballot next year. So perhaps yeah. that helps Big Willie uh, get a little closer next season. I noticed something though, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe we should reach out to him and find out. But I, I wanted to see what Willie said about, you know, if it's congratulations to Ken, um, or what he had said about not being a fine. He, he deleted his Twitter. Did he? It's gone. I, I don't know why he did that. It, I just, I was surprised because he was very active on Twitter. Very. And when I went to look, when I went to look for his reactions to all this, he's. It says that account no longer exists. So. Um, Sad if that is if, if it's in reaction to not being picked, but I agree with you. I think next year is his best shot of, of getting in. We shall see. And I gotta say, I mean, we've kind of talked about this before. I just have a real hard time with the Ken Riley thing. Like, I am happy for the family and I'm happy mm-hmm. that it, it's happening. I just every time, every time this happens, I get mad. And I, and I don't know if that's the wrong emotion. Like, if I shouldn't feel that way, but I can't help it. Like, I get mad at the Bengals. I get mad at the NFL. I get mad at the Hall of Fame voting process for the fact that somebody with 65 interceptions didn't get to experience that himself, didn't get to get the knock at the door, didn't get that. And it's great that his family gets it. And I'm sure that's appreciative. It just it pisses me off, frankly. It just makes me re-mad again about the fact that, you know, it's absurd that the Bengals only had one Hall of Famer for a team that's been to, you know, multiple Super Bowls in the 80s, a dude that had all those interceptions, you know, was part of – I mean, it's just – it just makes me mad that it's – that this is – this is that you, you finally admit, oh, yeah, we screwed it up now when it was too late, you know, and I'm happy for the family, but – 
just fr- it just frustrates me more than anything. I know I've talked about that before, but I just I don't know if I should feel that way. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in feeling that way? No, I, I texted Ken that exact thing Thursday night when it became official. I, I said, congratulations to your family. I am equal parts happy and sad for you guys because yeah. it, it is that he doesn't get to to enjoy this when he should have so long ago. Um, he, it Eventually, the right decision was made and he's in. That is great. But you're right. It's just it's terrible that he's he's not able to enjoy that with his family and his former teammates. And I mean, it's it's going to be a special uh, ceremony in August. It always is up there, but it's going to be really, really sad that, that Ken's going to be looking down on it instead of being there to be surrounded by all the love. Agree. Agree. Uh, all right. Did we get everything? I think we did get everything. All right. I think we did too. I think we did too. All right. We'll be back next week. Uh, mock off season is here. We will have the spreadsheet for you to fill out and see if you can create the perfect off season for the Bengals. I think I had a couple tweaks this year to help make it even more realistic. And by the way, looking back, we did a great job last year, Jay. It went almost to the number on the amount that the Bengals spent in the cap versus the number that we set up for them in the different directions they could go. So we're going to try to do that again for you this year. Uh, But I got a couple of tweaks to help it even more that I think is going to be great. And so we'll go into that. We'll do our own mock-off season. and We'll talk through the decisions and go through all of that before we get into the NFL Combine, which is two weeks away. We'll be in Indianapolis talking to everybody, Duke Tobin, uh, Zach Taylor, coordinators, Position coach, whoever the heck we can find, whoever (laughs) we can track down, yeah, whoever they might be, all of that. uh, We'll have multiple episodes coming your way that week as we descend on Indy for the football world to uh, start chatting again and start talking all about the offseason. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. How are you doing, everybody? 